Hot pot. Hot pot. Heartbreak and heartbreak and more heartbreak and hot pot. Heart break. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode six of Heartbreak and Hot Pot How I Lost 45 Pounds in Six Months. In our last episode, we we spent some time talking about Lori and and uh, you know a few other things going on with the business. This episode, we're going to dive into one of our favorite topics for everybody. I think COVID and its effect on the business, and uh, a little bit more about Lori, and we'll talk about Fantastic Sam's. But before I get going, I just wanted to complain about something for a second. A little little side story. I lived in Minnesota, as we've all become aware, for um, about five years, and the driving was miserable. It's like Minnesotans don't want to get anywhere. You know, they <laughs> the, a light changes, the speed limit's 45 miles an hour, a light changes, and the average Minnesotan will just slowly get up to that speed you know take minutes to get up to 45 miles per hour i step on the accelerator because my accelerator works and i get to 45 miles per hour almost immediately leaving everyone way in the dust but on the flip side when a light changes it, you know, when it's red two or three of these drivers will fly through which further exacerbates the problem when you know when a light changes to green nobody wants to go so they don't get you know, demolished in the intersection. Here's a few comments from uh, an internet discussion board that was uh, about driving in Minnesota. Um, I'll just I'll just do a few pieces of it here, uh, just so you know it's not just me. And it blows my mind how you can get stuck behind someone in the fast lane going seventy in a seventy, and when you pass them, they give you a look like you're crazy. You're going 70 in the fast lane on the interstate. Get over. What's even worse are the people that are in the right lane going slower than 70. (laughs) Bottom line, get over if you want to drive the limit. The fast lane isn't something mythical. Even the Eagles had a song about it, and over 50 million people have a copy of it. So let's get over. Anyway, I I just... (laughs) It just drove me nuts. And and the the other thing that was really bad... um, you know, cell phones, texting on the freeway. I mean, you, you, you could you'd be driving along and all of a sudden the car in front of you would, would just go off the side of the road or, or they'd, they'd drop 20 miles per hour and you'd get near them and, and they're, they're looking down at their phone. You know, in California, when they passed the hands-free law, the police cracked down hard and, and they taught everybody that they were serious. But when, in, when it changed in Minnesota, which was when I was there, I you they, you never heard about anybody getting pulled over, you know, and, and it's just everywhere. It's it's dangerous, you know. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, when my when Elliot came out to visit me, uh, he he went out, he borrowed my vehicle on for a drive, and he came back and said, "These are some of the worst drivers I've ever seen." I hadn't told him my thoughts on the topic at all. It just drives me nuts. Anyway, back to our real story. So, COVID hit. <clears throat> we all know about COVID. So my business was shut down in March of 2020. Uh, you know, all businesses were shut down. Um, we'd been hemorrhaging money before when we were trying to build, but now we were in a tailspin. 
we were allowed to reopen in June of 2020. And our entire staff in our Rosemount Salon decided not to return. Uh, we just couldn't reopen. We had nobody to work there. You know, every other salon was really lean. You know, people come to me and said, well, can't you move some people over? No. <laughs> we had one and a half people working in our Egan North Salon. I mean, that it was lean. So Rosemount was our first salon closure, but I, I had to continue paying rent. It was a 10-year lease. <laughs> They, they required me to do 10 years. Everywhere else was five years. It's unbelievable. Landlord is a big corporation. You know, nobody to talk to there. They, they offered no relief. You know, I, I, it was a personal guarantee. Everything was a personal guarantee. So I, I was just in trouble with it. You know, like I said, what's the point of forming a corporation if everything requires a personal guarantee? It, you know, I thought that was supposed to protect you. but So now we had six operating salons, one in Burnsville, two in Egan, one in Invergrove Heights, one in Northfield, and one in Faribault. You know, each one had staffing issues, as I said. You know, most businesses did. I mean, we all know how, I mean, restaurants are still struggling. You know. But our challenge is a bit bigger. You know, to work in a salon, you needed to have a cosmetology license from the state. So, you know, that really reduced the pool of available stylists for, for us to, to go after. Every salon in every area was fighting to, to survive and to attract talent. You know, like I said, our Egan North Salon had one full-time manager who was a stylist and one part-time. You know, we, we kept the doors open somehow. You know, I'd reception and clean. If we had only one person working, you know, we could never just have one team member in a salon at a time. You know, so... I don't know. And then Fantastic Sam's through COVID. Uh, it's just horrendous. You know, I'll, I'll get into that. You know, I'm going to write a whole book about that experience. Uh, you know, working with them was miserable. The, bo the book's going to be called Zero Accountability, My Experience in the Franchise World. The, the marketing function for Fantastic Sam's was, was uh, overseen by a board called the National Advertising Fund. I was elected to the board in 2019 because of my marketing experience and my business experience. They had asked me to join. The CEO wanted me on the, the board so I could bring some change in. You know, the direct comment from her was, they're stuck in the past. <laughs> so the challenge was there. What a miserable time that was. You know, the board was so stuck in the past that they, they refused the use of text-based marketing in 2019. So I'd created an ad for a local college in uh, near my Northfield salon, and it had a text response component, text haircut to 53425 for a direct link to our online booking. I mean, so simple, you know, so simple. They said it was not allowed in 2019. They would not allow me to use my franchise advertising funds that I had sent to them to promote my business using a text response. <laughs> You know, what's they, what do they say about turning a corporation around quickly? You know, like the, the, the magazine Fast Company. You know, business practices that in, an, in a fast-paced world. You know, I mean, Fantastic Sam's wasn't, was nowhere near that. You know, they operated almost exactly the opposite. If it's broke, don't fix it. You know, the NAF board decision-making process was just unbelievable. You know, they, they were fighting all the time with the corporate team at Fantastic Sam's. They just didn't see eye-to-eye -eye on anything. You know, the, the NAF board really wielded power over, over the brand. It was just a mess.
You know, the, the, the corporate team said the NAF board made all the decisions, and NAF said corporate made all the decisions. It was just finger-pointing back and forth. I don't know. And they had one of the worst advertising agencies I'd ever worked with. And I'd worked at a lot of agencies, and I'd been in agencies. I know how they operated. This was completely crazy. The, the way they operated was they would sit in on our phone meetings monthly, and they would listen to what everybody said, and they'd walk away and come up with the projects. I mean, that's insane. You know, the, the way you manage a marketing agency is you develop your objectives, you, you put together a creative brief that clearly delineates what the responsibilities of the agency are so they can be measured against something. These guys just came up with their own. Like, they didn't have taglines on most of this stuff. It was just pictures of people with hair. <laughs> you know. Uh, so then the, the CEO, Fantastic Sam's, put me on a committee to design a national market research project. That was how we were going to influence the NAF board. We we're gonna we we're gonna come back and show them what what the you know, the average consumer was looking for, what kind of messaging we needed. We were going to update the brand. It was really exciting. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I flew to North Carolina on my own dime. to for a, We had a small meeting there, two days to design this. Uh, you know, I was really committed to the brand's success back then. I, But there was just so much ineptitude going on. The CEO is really a nice woman, but she didn't hold anybody accountable. You know, that's what I said about my book, Zero Accountability. Nobody had to do anything. <laughs> it was really a far cry from my experience at Glacier Water. I mean, you know, our CEO held everybody super accountable, and it worked, you know? That's, what, that's how things work. You know, Fantastic, Sam, Fantastic Sam's Franchise Corporation was just a group of nice folks didn't really know what they were doing, and no one really cared. You know, they just—they were nice people. They'd promoted a pay grade or two above where they belonged. Yeah, at one point, I—I I had a breakfast with the, the the man who launched the Supercuts franchise, and then he went and did the Sport Clips franchise. So he succeeded twice. So when Fantastic Sam's came to him to take over, he said no. Why? The NAF board. I mean, he looked at me and he goes, nobody wants to work with the NAF board. <laughs> they were that notorious. They were killing the brand. He would not work with them. This was somebody who could have turned the entire company around, who knew how to do it, who'd succeeded twice. And the NAF board, you know, can you believe? Oh, before I get into uh, the proposals I made for the NAF board, I just wanted to say that market research project, you know, it went on all the way through the, some of the worst of COVID. But when they finally came to present the results, the only finding they came out with, I never, I never got a chance to read the, the, the final report on this thing. They, they didn't distribute it. They said they gave it to the NAF board. Anyway, when they presented this to us, the only finding that they told us was that customers look for stylists. They don't look for a salon. Oh, wow. That's mind-blowing. I mean, that's how I've been operating my salon since day one. We were trying to create an environment that was stylist-friendly. When I told that to the CEO you know, in that meeting, she looked at me and said, we we're always really proud of you, Kevin. It was nobody wanted to discuss what really needed to happen. It's just so after about nine months on the NAF board, 
I put together a few proposals. I sent it around to the Fantastic Sam's corporate team, made sure everybody agreed with them. Uh, you know, I proposed that the NAF have transparency. You know, nobody knew what was going on. We, we should show them what we're doing so that everyone would feel better about, about you know, how we were how we were moving forward. I proposed a new system, you know, that I mentioned earlier, you know, start with a creative brief, have it reviewed by the NAF board before anything, anything was done. And once it was approved by the NAF and by Fantastic Sam's, then the agency would, would be given the project very specific marching orders that could be measured. That's how normal business is operated. I, <laughs> This is the most sensitive. I proposed a review of the board secretary position. You know, this is a woman who was earning over a hundred grand a year, and she didn't even keep meeting minutes. You know, she had so much power in shutting down anything the franchisees wanted to do, wanted to do with with their funds. You know, I mean, she was often the the final determinant. They said, "Isn't that crazy?" And she didn't have a clue. And she'd held that position since the, since, since the formation of the company in the late 70s. <laughs> Can you believe it? You know, every single proposal I made was shot down. They didn't want to listen to me. They actually started, we had a shouting match on the phone. I'd reached my tipping point. They, they hated me. <laughs> I, I guess I was distracting them from whatever they were doing. I had no idea what these people were trying to achieve. It wasn't promoting the brand. You know, one of the board directors yelled at me asking me if this is how I behaved in the business world. <laughs> By trying to elicit some form of dialogue about how to fix this dying brand? Yeah. And then the, the one controlled by Fantastic Sam's, the board seat controlled by Fantastic Sam's, the, the director of marketing, she never liked, liked me. I think you know I, I threatened her authority with my experience, but I didn't think she was good at her job. But she was a nice person, like I said. But even though I'd reviewed all my proposals with her and Fantastic Sam's in advance and she'd agreed to everything, in the meeting she joined the attack on me. She said that the transparency of the NAF board for the franchisees wasn't necessary as everybody already had everything they needed. The board was transparent. I was a franchisee sitting on the NAF board and I didn't understand everything going on. I still don't. No one could. There was no written record of what they had done or were doing. I'm just convinced there are a lot of side deals going on. You know, when you hold a board seat on a fund like that for over a decade or two, you probably learn how to make it work for you. You know, one of the board directors had an exclusive contract to distribute Fantastic Sam's retail products and back bar products to all the eastern United States. How can that be a good thing? You know, and I paid a quarter of a million dollars a year to, to, to Fantastic Sam's to receive the benefits of these people. I mean, I get angry just thinking about it. <laughs> just... So I went and I reviewed the board formation documents that I'd received when I joined the board. And I saw that as a director, I had the right to ask for all the minutes and all the financial audits historically. So I asked the board for them three times in writing. No answer. They just ignored me. So then I went to my lawyer, Carol, and I asked her to draft a letter you know, I mean, I wrote a letter, and she just she she uh, legalized it. She she made it a little bit more official. You know, I went to her because the board ignored three requests. So I thought, coming from a a lawyer, it might look a little bit more impressive. So I sent the letter off to the board secretary. The response came very quickly. 
came in the form of a call from a lawyer named Mark Blum. He, he's with Lathrop GPM. It's literally one of the largest law firms on the planet. I, when I told my lawyer, John, he, he said, are you kidding me? <laughs> so this guy had been CEO of Lathrop GPM, and now he was a partner. You know, he'd kind of stepped down from CEO. You can look him up. This is real. So Mark called me, and he told me that early in his career, he'd set up the NAF board for the regional owners in that franchise system. You know, they'd, they'd come to him. Then he'd stayed in touch with them. He was friendly with the team that approached him all the way back in the 70s. I mean, can you believe the firepower behind these people? He asked me point blank why I wanted these documents, why I wanted the minutes. I, I said I wanted them mainly because I didn't think they existed. You know, I'd asked the board secretary and, you know, the other folks on the board several times in, for, in, the, in the past few months. When I asked for the minutes, the secretary's response to me was, I don't keep them all in one place. Why would I do that? That's crazy. Well, of course it's crazy. You're crazy. I have all this communication documented. <laughs> all of it. I have hundreds of pages of, of these emails. It's, like I said, it's a book unto itself. How bad was this organization? Right in the middle of the worst of COVID, you know, our state of Minnesota mandated that everyone mask up. We couldn't have more than three customers in the salon at one time. And then the fantastic Sam's director of digital marketing, what did she do? She placed a Facebook and Instagram post on every salon's page that shouted, bring the whole family. And it showed two unmasked stylists and two customers who were also unmasked. The stylists were wearing dresses above the knee, which is not in the fantastic Sam's dress code. I mean, this, this nonsense rippled through all the franchise community. I mean, we all, we all, we're, our minds were blown, you know. But as with most mistakes, it just became a non-issue. Except with me, you know, it it stayed with me. No accountability, no accountability. I mean, they didn't even apologize for it. I couldn't take it. All my money was being sucked away, and these people were just the worst. Even with one salon closed, I still sent them two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. The money's taken out of my account, our business account, every week, every Monday morning. No accountability at all. Nowhere in the organization. Not with the franchisor. Not with the NAF board. There's not even a company or there's not a nonprofit that can operate with zero accountability. We were spiraling out of control. If you want to see that post that they put on uh, <laughs> on everyone's page, you you can go to hotpotforlife.com, where I have the book um, published. And uh, it looks like if you jump to page 36, you'll, you can see it there. When you see it, I mean, it should blow your mind. You know, there was no retraction. There was no comment to the public about this flagrant error. They just hid behind the cloak of non-accountability. What a horrible way to run a business. God, I was angry. Oh, man. I mean, I was losing all my money, everything I'd ever, ever had, you know. So somewhere in this, I came across ketamine therapy for treating PTSD and bipolar you know, conditions. I'd read about all the results that the, the VA was having, and I was really interested, you know, anything to, for self-improvement, get rid of my, my anger. <laughs> you know, I was angry at Fantastic Sam's. I wanted to approach the business with more of a detached mind, and uh, 
you know, I love hallucinogens. I mean, it's been a long time, but the hallucinogens, they release the ego, allow you to explore the group mind, I, I believe. It's really powerful stuff. So how does ketamine treatment work? Well, the brain develops fixed pathways based on repeated behavior. You know, so when you, you know, in some instances, the, the pathways block the brain from getting to healthier thoughts. You, you, you get locked into certain behaviors. Ketamine apparently blows away those blockages, and, and you can see everything in a new light. It works. I, I, I know it does. So the reason I, I started exploring it was I read about a female medical doctor. She was suffering from deep, deep depression. You know, at, the, at one point, she only saw two paths, uh, ex either extreme depression for the rest of her life or, or suicide. She found ketamine in her research, and she did the six treatments they recommended, and she came out of depression. And then she started her own ketamine clinic to treat others. I mean, she was that blown away with it. You know, I, I, I knew I was suffering from PTSD. I mean, I, you know, I, it's not a military PTSD. I mean, I know there's a lot of different degrees of it. You know, mine, mine was my son. You know, I dealt, I dealt with my own trauma silently, you know, except for my therapy sessions every Tuesday morning. You know, talking through things really helped a lot. But I still wanted a way out, and I wanted a way to deal with my anger you know, just how my anger at how the things in the world were working out. And my therapist, Catherine, also told me that I was likely bipolar 2, bipolar 2, the number 2. Lesser level of bipolar, but, but still real. I guess I was, because there, there were a few signs, according to her. So, um, so as I said, the treatments administered six sessions over the span of two weeks. And then you can do maintenance visits, you know, as, as you see fit. Um, each session takes about an hour. You know, ketamine is working on you for over 40 minutes with an IV drip. Uh, so I had my first treatment on Tuesday, November 30th of 2021, and it was amazing. Put your headphones on, random music, you know, playing through your brain, world slips away, beautiful psychedelic trip, flying over colors, mind floats here and there, going where it wants to. You know, it was amazing. I, I thought about my life. I looked around. I looked for Dan. I thought about Lori, how much in love we were, even if we weren't intimate. I thought about my business and my close friends in the business, how much we were going to, we were such a great place for everyone to work. It was kind of a love-filled, dreamy session. Made me realize how much good I had in my life. Then it was over. It took me about 30 minutes of sitting to regain control of my limbs and eyes. <laughs> Uh, I'd proceed with the next five treatments, then I'd do another 31 doses over the next year and a half. I think it helped me, at least in the short term. Now, it's expensive. That's why I'm not doing it now. It costs like $400 a session, but insurance covered almost 100% of all the, the ones that I'd gone through, which is amazing. Um, I can't do that now. So what was happening at home while this is going on? I was sober. I was happy. I was healthy. You know, Lori wasn't as warm to me as before. We we barely ever kissed, but I thought we were still best friends. Um, you know, we went out for hot pot. I watched reality TV with her, something I really had never done before. We watched everything: Love Island, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Great British Bake Off. You know, we laughed about the episodes, talked about them. 
you know, she knew I really hated Love Island. It was like nails on a chalkboard to me, but I watched with her. <laughs> you know, she hated the fact, she told me that she hated the fact that I like movies like Pulp Fiction. Violence really, really upset her. You know, and I think she felt that was a part of who I was. You know, we didn't go out much. As I said, you know, she had severe migraines, not really a people person. So we spent a lot of time in front of the TV. We had the two dogs. You know, well, she had the two dogs, but I walked them twice a day. And uh, I did most of the feeding. After Igly, the, the dogs' names were Iggy and Wesley. And after they passed away, we got two more. Uh, they're Havanese, Solstice and Oberon. Um, you know, I love those dogs. And I thought I made her life easier. You know, I, I, I still wonder, I don't know how she copes with much of her life without me because of all the things that I did. But, you know, you can't worry about that or wonder about that. People get by. That's what my therapist always said to me. She said, she'll get by. So we survived through the worst of COVID, and I tried to make her life as, as good as I could. You know, she, she's someone who goes full speed into new interest. She went crazy for a while with baking probably bring blame the great british bake off for that you know we bought some high-end equipment cool mixer all the pots and pans and since she made one loaf of bread and then she was done then she dove into making kombucha stunk up the kitchen for a couple weeks but then she was done no more kombucha so anyway that was a long episode um i'm going to wrap up episode six here if you have any questions for me please feel free to reach out kevin K-E-V-I-N at hotpotforlife.com H-O-T-P-O-T-F-O-R-L-I-F-E dot com I did want to take a moment to mention that this entire podcast is due to the idea of one person a, a friend of mine from high school Renee Morell and uh, you know I mean, she she read the the writing that I put together, the, the, the hopefully a book and, uh, and, and told me that it'd be really great as a podcast. So we're giving it a try. So thank you, Renee. I appreciate it. And thank you again for listening. And, uh, if you like this, please pass it on to a friend. I'd love for more people to hear it. And I'd love to get feedback. Uh, have a great day or a great night, whatever time of day it is. And I'll talk to you soon. Hot pot, COVID, 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 hot pot. COVID, COVID, hot pot. COVID, COVID, hot pot. What you're going to do about heartbreak through COVID? COVID and heartbreak.